Welcome everybody, And many of us are feminist. Some of us grew up Jewish. Some of us married Jewish. Many of us are Jewish. So Lab Shul is everybody friendly. You want to be here? Welcome. We're not going to ask you Very where you're creative. from, who you are, or what you believe in. The island of sanity. Very creative. Island of uh, sanity. Sometimes. sometimes. Wait, what? We come from the nowhere. I, I, I know where we come Talk from. That's it. why I, I left there many years ago, because... Mm -hmm. I grew up in a very religious home, in a very Zionist home. And I grew up in a home where expressing my thoughts about religion in a different way were not so encouraged. And when I came out as gay, that was a real deal breaker. So I had to find a reality where I could be who I am. And I was curious to see what is happening in the United States for Jews who are not necessarily Orthodox and could be a lot of different things. So in 1997, a year after Bibi became prime minister for the first time. It was the Neshawun still existed already? Neshawun. Neshawun was the first place where I worked in New York City. Ah, with what is named Rabbi? Um, Matalon, Oli Matalon. Ah, oh, I loved him. Okay. So you did come so, to Okay. So that's the beginning. I came here in 97. I created a theater company called Storytelling that's about reimagining the Bible through our political modern eyes and challenging the text so we don't have to be beholden to the past. And then slowly the Storytelling Theater Company grew and grew from being a theater company to being a community. And then 12 years ago, we decided that it's not just going to be a community, it will be a congregation. And we can reimagine what happens in a synagogue. Who leads a synagogue? Who comes to a synagogue? How often do we meet? Where do we meet? A laboratory. Everything is played with. And that's where we are. Amichai. Unbelievable. You know, with everything that is going on in Israel, and with the need to redefine the Jewish homeland in a, in a way, And with the American Jewish world shaking because of that, how do you how do you 
explain your congregation what's going on? To my congregation? No. Yeah. Oh, to is yeah, okay. to your congregation. Yeah, look. I think the confusion is is general. I think for most American Jews and the people who live with and love American Jews, what's going on in Israel is far away and people are seeing headlines. The three of us obviously are from Israel. We're very connected to Israel. We read Israeli papers and we know the backstage. So we understand the nuance and we understand that the current government that BB put together is a legitimate, authentic Israeli voice, but it's also a very problematic and dangerous. Dangerous, authoritarian. It represents some of the worst things in Judaism from the extreme religious to the extreme political right to people who are not in favor of democracy, who are misogynists and anti-women, who are homophobe and anti-gay, and who are, of course, xenophobic and anti-Arab. So the Israeli experiment is in danger. Mm -hmm. For most American Jews, that's too complicated. Yeah. So emotionally, even though we've been protesting, knowledge-wise, even okay. Knowledge that's a good question. I think both. I think both. I think I think the fact that for a lot of his, a lot of American Jews who are let's say fifty or forty and younger, the only Israel they know is really the Netanyahu kind of Israel. The occupation is a fait accompli. The I grew up. You know, I was born in 69. My mother wanted another child after 1967, which was for her messianic. So I grew up in Israel in the 70s and the 80s. I was in New York for a few years. And the Israel that I grew up with changed. I now know that after the Yom Kippur War, which is now 50 years later, it's going to be one of the things I'll be talking about in my community on Yom Kippur. Israel changed in the 70s. And Israel changed in the 80s and Israel changed in the 90s. Most American Jews who are 50 years old and younger only know in Israel where the occupation, if you're far away, is the defining feature. And the growing right-wing authoritarian religious voice is what they see. Now, we know, and for sure the last eight months have brought up the best in the type of Israel that we still believe in that's fighting for democracy, that's fighting for human rights, that is fearless and brave in the face of this authoritarian and cruel government. So American Jews are seeing that, but it's confusing. So Tsipi, I think you're right. It is emotionally baffling and it is technically just unclear. Mm -hmm. So the response is just distance. You tell me what's going on. This is not my fight. Very interesting because we feel the same but as far as I'm concerned, is even more going in. I feel a little bit different. I think that especially among the conservatives and the reformed Jews, there is a lot of confusion because basically with the current government, they're not wanted in Israel. So it's um, the whole idea of having Israel as a Jewish home, safe Jewish home for the Jews wherever they are, becomes something very different that they're not used to. Um, and I think this is something that nobody meant for this to be because all of a sudden the Jews in the ultra-Orthodox in government in Israel defined 
the Jewish country, the Jewish state is something else. It's very personal for, to them and it, they own it. And what about the rest? Right. And there's a bigger crisis here. You know, for many years, if you were a Jew in Buenos Aires or Brooklyn or Bnei Brak, there was a sense of a common story. And this common story had a lot to do with danger, yeah. with persecution. So the Shoah, the Holocaust, was always a very important thing that brought us together, even if the way we kept Shabbat or who we vote for was very different. Yeah. Then the next way to get, create a Jewish center around the world was Israel, especially after 67. Mm -hmm. Israel became where American Jews send their kids to have a Jewish identity, not just an Israeli Zionist identity, a Jewish identity. Israel became the, the promise after 2000 of years, the place where Hebrew lives, the place where Jews live freely. It became the central aspect of Jewish education in the diaspora. Hebrew schools began in the 1930s by focusing on Hebrew as a language. That failed. That, that is no longer what happens in these schools. So for many years, it was about Israel. But since the 1980s and the 90s, to make Israel the key curriculum of a modern, I'll say an American Jew, is not what's going to get that Jew to care enough about Judaism. It's going to be complicated politically. It's going to be asking of them loyalty to a country that they don't necessarily understand and to values that they don't necessarily share. So increasingly, and now for sure, if you're asking for an American Jew in their 20s to figure out why be Jewish, the answer should not be, oh, Israel. The answer should not be the Holocaust. The answer should be, I think, because you are the heir of a 3,000 year old tradition that has a toolbox with tools to make your life meaningful. How you get up in the morning, how you go to sleep at night, what happens when your mother dies or when your son is born, what happens when you fall in love or what happens when your heart breaks. We have tools. Some of these tools are religious. They come from the world of halacha or Jewish law. Many of them are mythic and spiritual. Some of them, involve belonging, believing in God. Some don't. But the majority of Jews all over the world don't have access to the Jewish toolbox. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with a hundred years worth of shitty Jewish education right. and Israel focus. So what we're seeing now, if I don't focus on Israel, then what's my Jewish focus? That's a real question people are asking. Right. So the emotional confusion that CP was talking about is because if it's not going to be Israel that's the main curriculum for why be Jewish, is it anti-Semitism? That's not enough. Is it history? Yes, but that's not enough. In the absence of spiritual, cultural, meaningful Judaism, why be Jewish? That's the question well, that's you, being asked. The thing is that basically what you're talking about has nothing to do with, the, with Israel. The Jewish spirit and the focus of the Jewish uh, culture is everywhere. But the definition of Israel for the diaspora Jews and the part that it took in their lives for the last few decades um, got very unclear. And I think that even 
for Israelis, Israel is a little bit unclear now because you have to redefine what does it mean to have a Jewish state, to be an Israeli, why to put it together. Maybe and to be Jewish. That's right. And to be, so, so right now there are people in Israel who are telling, you know, my cousin is the current chief rabbi of Israel. Right. We grew up together. We're the same age. May he, you know, is 10 years almost up. And his father, my uncle, was the chief rabbi before him. He wears a black hat. Yeah. He's an ultra-Orthodox Jew. His religious politics are very different than mine. Mm -hmm. And that type of Judaism is the type of Judaism most Israeli Jews know to be the authentic Judaism. That is different than the United States, right. where there are so many other ways of being a rabbi or being Jewish, and there isn't a monopoly that forces you to go through the Orthodox Judaism. Right. So more and more Israelis, especially now, are saying, wait a minute, I want to be Jewish, but I don't want to be that kind of Jewish. Mm -hmm. I want to be a liberal Jew. I want to be a feminist Jew. I want to be a woman or a trans person or whatever it is and be Jewish. And so what we're seeing that's happening in Israel, influenced by what's happening here, is that there is a revolution, a rebellion against Orthodox Judaism. I think it's that liberal... the, 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 the thing, you know, they try now more to divide between Judaism and Jewish and Orthodox uh, Jewish life because Judaism is one thing and the ultra-Orthodox or the Orthodox uh, Jews are another thing. And Israel was basically built based on Judaism, on the Jewish idea. So you need to find a new way to define Israel and to see what comes out of it. Meantime, you have many generations that were born in Israel and they're Israelis and this is their homeland. And they define themselves and as Israelis. It, is, it has nothing to do with either Jewish or not Jewish because automatically, you know. Of course I'm Jewish, but I'm an Israeli right. in my identity. That's right. So the question is basically how you how you define a country that half of it is so different than the other and it's based on Jude on Jewish identity. So do you do you know who Arthur Finkelstein was? Sure. And you may have known him. Um, complicated character, to say the okay. least. Arthur Finkelstein gave BB a terribly smart advice many years ago. He said to him, the question you need to put it in the front of your campaign is, what are you more, Jewish or Israeli? Yehudi yeah. or Israeli? And he created this false, but authentic, historical, yeah. either or. And Jewish meant pro-state, pro-land of Israel, Judaism religiously as the Orthodox define it, believing in the God of the Bible, that, that kind of Jewish or Israeli might like Shabbat and like the holidays and like everything, but secular, right? Yehudim right. israeli that's where we are now. Now, here's what's interesting about that question of Finkelstein. Judah and Israel are two very different identities. Jewish and Israeli. It wasn't invented by Finkelstein. Um, one of the things I've been doing the last few years, I decided when I turned 50, which was a few years ago, 
that I need to read the Bible, the whole Tanakh. I never read the whole thing, even when I became a rabbi. And I needed to read it because I want to understand where we come from. Not just the headlines, but really read chapter by chapter. There's a beautiful project called 929, where if you read all 929 chapters of the Bible in order, it takes three and a half years. So it's now in the third cycle. I'm doing it. I'm posting every day. I have a blog called Below the Bible Belt, in which I try and find the secrets underneath what the Tanakh has to offer us. My brother, Rabbi Benny Lau, started this project in Israel. Um, so a few, about a year ago, we were reading the books of Kings. And I started learning about the history of the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, Yehuda Israel. Now, most people don't know about this. I did not know about this. We know the headlines. Here's the history. For 200 years, which is the longest time our people were on the land we called Israel for, the, in, for a consistent amount of time, the only way we survived was by being split up into two kingdoms, the Northern Kingdom, Malchut Israel, the Kingdom of Israel, and the Southern Kingdom, Malchut Yehuda, the Kingdom of Judah. Judah was one, maybe two tribes. It included Jerusalem and Hebron. It was a hilltop, small minority of people who were very excluded from the rest of the region. They believed in one God, in one temple, in one area. They were the Yehudim, the Judeans. Meanwhile, Mamlechet Israel was 10 tribes, millions of people. They had the port. They had access to the Phoenicians and the Edomites or the rest of the world. They were rich. They were cosmopolitan. They had not one temple. They had at least four temples. It wasn't just Yahweh. It was Yahweh and the goddess and the other ways of formulation. They were brothers or sisters, those two kingdoms, but they were very different. They had some fights. There were some times when they got along, but eventually the northern kingdom of Israel was demolished by the Assyrians. And a hundred years later, the southern kingdom was demolished by the Babylonians. The northern kingdom was completely destroyed. The southern kingdom survived. The refugees made it to Babylon, mm -hmm. right? Al by the rivers of Babylon. And they not only survived, they were the ones to write the book. They wrote the Bible. So the history of our people that we have written down is from the point of view of the southern kingdom, of Judah, of the Judeans who gave us our name, Jewish, Yehudim. But actually the theology, the mythology, the ideology of who we are as a people is much more complex than one tribe. I don't feel that I am a descendant of the Judeans, of Shevet Yehuda, the tribe of Judah. I belong to the north. I belong to the How people different of the world in terms of value. How different, or two things, how different they were in terms of, let's say, values and the, because the Bible is full with values, whether it's bad or good, doesn't matter. What mm -hmm. it shared in common and, um, and, and yeah, and what, what, what they were different and what they shared in common. Great question. So they may have shared the language. Mm -hmm. Right, whatever we're talking 3,000 years ago. So there was some Hebrew, there was some concepts. Ancestors were very different. For the north, um, 
Moses is very important. Jacob is very important. For the South, Abraham is very important. But more important is God. Okay, whether you believe in God or not, for the Judeans, for the South, God became Yahweh. Yudhe Vavhe, one God, not exactly male, but not exactly not male, who lives in the temple in Jerusalem. And if you want to see God, you have to come to Jerusalem. One place, power, king, the house of David, and God lives there. In the north, God has many names. God is Elohim. It's male, it's female. It has a husband, a wife. God lives under the beautiful trees in this temple in Dan, or in that temple in Beit El. It is much more what we call pagan, but it's much more human and it's much more accepting. So religiously, it wasn't, it wasn't the same religion. Culturally, we know that the people of the North were very cosmopolitan. They were with the rest of the region. The people of Judah, a little bit like Bnei Brak today, maybe. What about the Ten Commandments? It's a good question, Sipi. The Ten Commandments come later. Because by the time the Torah gets written by the people of the South, they take the different versions and make one version out of it. We're not sure that the people in the North had the Ten Commandments as we know them. It took time to consolidate. The point is, and this is a long, long, I'm, the, the notion of Judah and Israel is a fascinating question. But where we are now in 2023, if you're looking at many of the posters, the protesters are holding up in Tel Aviv and in New York. If you're reading op-eds in Haaretz or in other papers, you see that Israel in Yehuda keeps coming yes, up. coming up. Because actually, de facto, call it what you want, and I... I'm not sure it's the only solution for where we are right now, but in Israel and in the Jewish world are two very different groups. The group that says what's in the Bible, what God says, what Jewish law, what the rabbi, male rabbis say, that's what there has to be. The land is really important. Fear is really important. We're going to stay behind the walls of defining Jewish. And then there's many of us who say, Look, fear is real, the land is important, but human life is also important. And how we get along with each other is really important. And women's rights is really important. And gay rights is really important. We are not who we were. We, are, we keep evolving. The only difference between my cousin and me, we both believe in a Jewish life that's meaningful. He believes in guarding the tradition as it was. He's loyal to our grandparents which is great, I like that. But here comes me, right? So I'm a gay man who came out in the 1980s. Had I lived 100 years ago, 75 years ago, I would not have been able to be out, right? And like many other gay people, I either would have married and made my wife miserable or many others, I would have committed suicide, which is still happening. So thank goodness I'm living in a time where I can be both gay and Jewish and a rabbi. And there are so many women who are saying, I don't have to live in a society where I have to cover myself up, where I have to cover my body or my sexuality. I can be both. So this conversation right now is between the Judaism that was, that insists on keeping things as it was, patriarchal, misogynist, whatever. And the rest of us who are saying, yes, but you can take what the past was and make it come alive. In some way, this is the debate between Judah and Israel. 
does it mean that Israel needs to split into, you know, I keep saying what we really need is a fourth state solution. You need a liberal Israel, a religious Israel, a liberal Palestine, and a religious Palestine. Hamas, Palestine, Bnei Brak, Tel Aviv. Maybe. I don't think it's a feasible solution. But I think realistically, we need to understand that even though we are one people, we have very different ways of being who we are, and we have to respect that. And if we don't respect each other's ways... But if you go back to Judah and Israel, uh, in Israel today, basically one country can survive and the other one cannot really survive security-wise because basically all the services that the ultra-Orthodox get is from us. So how do you put they it will together? They will not support themselves. And this the, is a technical question, though. This is not as long as what he was talking it's about. It's not because basically the whole essence of the ultra-Orthodox community in Israel is to be able to be free to to follow their old ways. They will not. They will have to to survive, like they survived as Judah. Sure. And, so we will not support. Sure. They, they will, will survive. A way to support themselves because but how the Torah do is more important than anything, and they will survive. But how do you introduce Israel to those who basically say we're Israelis, we're not Jewish, or it's more important for us to be Israeli and not Jews, when Israel basically is based on the fact that everybody is Jewish? The Israelis, when well, they are Israelis, they for granted that they are Jewish. They don't yes, say we are not Jewish. No, they no, take no. It for granted. No, many people say I want nothing to do with this. I want nothing to do with Orthodox. But they would say they are Jewish. Yes, but they don't care. Um, yeah, right. Not, uh, yes, that's not important. Right. They don't care for that. We are, we are absolutely in a moment of change. We're a moment of evolution. First of all, let's not forget that Israel has between 22 and 25% of citizens who are not Jewish. Right. And the big question here, can Israel be a democracy and is also Jewish? The only way for Israel to be Jewish and democratic is if we reimagine Jewish. Because right now, the Jewish that is defining this government is the kind of Jewish that doesn't want democracy because right. Jews are more important than people who are not Jewish and men are important than women, etc. That is the Benvir, Smotrich kind yeah. of Judaism that people like me are fighting as much as we can because that Judaism belongs to the past. It no longer represents most of us who are living in the liberal world. Right. So for lots of Israelis who are damaged and baggage by that kind of Judaism, they come to the United States and they're like, oh, wow, you can be whatever you in want. a place where there's, well, not just whatever you want. You can be ultra-religious and sit be with women. Yeah. Be with women, that there's music, that it speaks to my heart, that it addresses my values. And there are more and more Israeli Jews in Israel whether they come from the reform movement or from grown Israeli experiments who are doing Yahadut, Judaism, Be'ivrit, with Hebrewism. It's not just a language, right? It's a very new phenomenon. You know, when I left in the late 90s, I could count on one hand the number of congregations that were exciting, that were trying to do Jewish in Hebrew. Most of them had a heavy American accent because the liberal rabbis came from the United States. And I, as an Israeli, was like, I don't want to do Jewish with an American accent. I always I ended up going to the United States. I would grow up in Israel. And they, Josh, Joshua, 
will be, I will grow, I will be exposed to them and all of us will be go up in like Nejashu, Nejashu. So that's why I like to say there are more and more of us all over the world who are saying, ho, ho, ho. Let's reclaim what we think Jewish life can be about. And the Bible that we inherited, the Jewish law that we inherited, yes, it's thousands of years old. And like Christianity and Islam, it's very patriarchal. Men are in charge. God is a man. The laws were written by men for men. And you two, who are women, and I, who's a gay man, are not the main recipients mm. of the exclusive club. Well, thank you very, very much. Since the suffragettes, and since the 1920s and all the traumas we've been through, we're changing the laws. Right. And patriarchy is fighting hard. You've seen Barbie, you know what it's about, right? The world is fighting hard against the changes. And that's what we're seeing now. And it has to do with the politics yeah. of that Israel is for Jews and not for Arabs. It, it has to do with the land, even though there is room for everyone. It has to do with all the anti-women laws that are, the government is trying to pass. All that's happening. At the same time, there are so many exciting changes that are happening. We'll have more to and more out. Jews. Most people don't know about Nahon, Nahon, we need to do we need to do a better job yes. in inviting people in. I have to ask you something. Uh, Amichai, what do you think? How do you think the current situation, I mean, the current relations, how much Israel is important to the Jews outside of Israel today, based on the fact that Israel was basically built to, to build them a security from what's going on heaven, in the world? Heaven, escape. Let me tell you this. One of the projects we do in my community is coming of age. We reimagine the Barbat Mitzvah. It's called B Mitzvah. Whatever your gender is, we do it for people who are 13 years old or 80 years old. Mm -hmm. You take a year to ask yourself, what does it mean to grow up? Who do I want to be when I grow up? It's especially exciting with people who are not 13. It's a different story. But we do about 12 to 18 months of a program. You, invent, you imagine your own personal history. You ask questions about your values and you ask questions in a small group about what does it mean to be a Jew? What does it mean to have religion or culture or anything in your life? Now, especially with the kids, with the 13 year olds, we have about 45 hours where this kid is gonna be spending time with one of the teachers, with me, as they're asking these questions, 45 hours, okay, in the course of a year yes. and a half, plus homework and all that. So the question is, in those 45 hours, a kid comes to me, 12 years old, dad is Jewish, mom is not, or the other way around, or one, two, dad, whatever it is. This is the first exposure to Judaism. In 45 hours, what are the must-haves? So that kid walks away feeling good about their life, feeling empowered to take on life, feel like that they are part of a rich culture that has something to offer them, knows a little more about history, knows a little bit maybe language, feels like, oh, this is something I can 
that can be meaningful in my life instead of blah, blah, bullshit, mumble some words in Hebrew from the Torah that I'll never remember again. So the question in the 45 hours that we have, how many hours are we going to talk about Jewish history? How many hours are we going to talk about Israel? How many hours are we going to talk about personal identity? How many hours are we going to talk about big questions? Does God exist? For your average American Jew, Israel is not on the top five list of priorities okay. because they're going to become a Jew or they're going to consider their Jewish identity or their mixed identity where Jewish is part of whether is whether Israel is there or not. Israel is not the top five topics. It might or might not make it as a major conversation. I agree with it. With them. It's, it, it, it's the next step. Now, here's a place where I'm sad about. I wish that I had more time with these kids, but I'm competing with soccer and with video games and with high school and everything else. And I wish that Hebrew, the Hebrew language, would have a better chance but not of being part of their life. But that's... That doesn't Israel mean... Israel can be part of it. It's but that's, hard to, to but that's going to be the next layer. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the next layer. It's not elementary school. That's high school right. for those who are involved. You know, it's just a matter of priorities right now. I have to tell you something. Uh, I, when I was twenty-two or so, I came to Enarbo, Michigan, to do my master and PhD. So I volunteered at Ilil. I knew how to play the piano. I knew how to play the accordion. I knew how to uh, no dance folks. So I became popular in among the Jewish, uh, you know, Hillel or not Hillel, in the, just, you know, it's not a big place in Arbo. And I had more and more Jewish men come to me and say, I'm in love with the Shiksa, with the non-Jewish girl. Right. Now I, and until now I'm telling, I told my son, please marry a Jewish or somebody will convert because she will continue the, the civilized, I don't know how to call it even, of Jewishness, like Armenians. You cannot just erase it from the history. The same with Judaism. We have to keep that, Judaism. Um, I said it when I was 22 and I persuaded boys, if you want to marry a shikse, it's you're in love, but try to make her to convert. The and the same I'm telling now. You can see I'm not 22. But I think what is part it? of liberalism is that the, the Israelis and the Jewish people here said, okay, it's not Jewish. What can you do? And it's painful. But look what Judaism like not... contributed to the world. Forget religion. In so many ways, I don't know if it's you know, the values, the, 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 whatever humanity, you call humanity, is Judaism. I'm not saying it's not that Christianity is not, but Judaism, we have to keep it. We cannot just right. give our hand to the distinguish of, of something so larger than each one of us in Judaism. So I'm not talking really. The question, Nahon, I hear you. So the question is, what is that? So yeah. for instance, and, and I want to talk about the marriage issue because I'm going to throw a little bomb your way. Um, first of all, I think one of the birthrights, one of the best startups that the Jewish people gave to the world is Shabbat. Right. Shabbat is basically anti 24 seven. 
It's anti-corporate capitalism, workism, where you're supposed to work nonstop. We so can even think about Christians it today. They also for Muslims. Yeah. But the Jews, what the Jews created that then became Friday and then became Sunday, <laughs> then became the weekend in the West. And still for so many people is like a great concept that they don't understand is sacred rest. I don't care how you keep Shabbat, but the fact that oh. you come home on Friday and there is a dinner and you sit down and you change your shirt and you bring flowers, you turn off your phone, whatever Shabbat is about, it is about radical rest. And we in this corporate culture need that more than ever. More and more people coming to me are like, oh my God, I'm 25. I think I'm Jewish. I don't know where to begin. I'm like, do a Shabbat dinner. Don't worry about the kiddush, the words, the this, the that. Start understanding that one of the tools in our toolbox is about rest, about soul, about breath. Start there. And then there's more. You know, there are tools in our toolbox how to do Jewish life in a way that's meaningful if you do or don't believe in God. Now, I want to say something about, about marriage issues. 72% of American Jews are choosing to get married to whoever. I know. And about a very small percent of the people who they marry become Jewish and convert. Okay. So on the one hand, we can tear out our hair and say, okay, but here's the good news. Okay. The good news is my son found a Jewish girl, first of all. Mazal tov. Yeah. But that's but your feet. Here's what's going on here. The majority of American Jews and also Israeli Jews, Jews all over the world, number one, the reason why they don't prioritize a Jewish partner is because they don't feel excited about Jewishness. The Jewishness they know is some musty old rabbi or like blah, blah, blah. It's not who they are. So we have a problem to create, forget anti-Semitism, to make pro-Semitism, to create a Judaism that matters to me. And therefore, I want my partner to care about it as well. If so many modern Jews don't have an important priority or relationship with Jewish life, because that's what they grew up with in Hebrew school or some boring temple or the home, home where it wasn't really celebrated, but just blah, blah, autopilot, and then not going to prioritize it's not only blah, blah. one the issue problem we have is that they base the the jewish the jewishness based on fear you'll have anti-semitism israeli and it's not fear, so it's not, it's not the not right way love. to keep culture you know that we speak the, about the american no 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 but i'm not it's very much in israel too on the contrary in israel it's every and the numbers it's Israelis and Tzachi and Lucy is not a rare example. It's a growing number. Um, there is... He's an Israeli. I'm, I'm, I'm very involved in what's happening there. But what's happening is, and it's going to only grow, that you can either be either or, right? You're using the word shiksa or non-Jew. I don't like to use the word non-Jew for the same reason that I'm not going to call both of you non-gay. Right? You're not non-gay. You are what you are. It's ridiculous that a minority will call everybody else by what they're not. So the majority of people living today, let's say in the United States, who come from Jewish origins and are not prioritizing marrying a Jewish partner, 
stand in front of a crossroads. They're marrying someone who comes from a different background who will or will not embrace Jewish. Mm -hmm. That partner will embrace Jewish if the kind of Jewish that the Jew has is vibrant, has something to say to their lives. They're going to walk away if the Judaism is not important. So my job as a rabbi is to meet these couples, and I meet them every day. And I know and say, them. hi, welcome, welcome. I will welcome you as you are. It's my job to get you excited about what Judaism has to offer your life, whether you become a Jew or not, whether you were born a Jew or not. And I will officiate your wedding if you want to make sure that Judaism has a room at the table, a seat at the table. I'm not saying Judaism has to be the supreme and only identity because it won't be for the Jew or for the person marrying them, but I'm inviting you to be in conversation with it. And if I'm coming with seven panimia foot, with a real welcome, if I'm inviting them in, then what I actually do, instead of losing the Jew into assimilation, I am gaining another partner who's curious about a Judaism that's meaningful to their lives. But basically, what we're seeing more and more the whole attitude about Jewish life and Jewish people, because basically, instead of fear, instead of fear, not only I'm the coming fear, with love, it's fear. No, it's, it's like fear. the fear, the fear that but we're also, gonna lose the Jews, we're gonna lose right. the Jews. You're like, it's no, the fear and let's it's, figure uh, out how to come from love. And it's what comes, what, um, no, the word for Kedai. What will come out of it? If it's worthy for us, if it's not worthy for us, all the wrong calculations that have nothing to do with Jewish life or Judaism or culture. And if you get together with somebody who really don't care for that, so of course it will go away. And I think that the, but this is also, you know, about how you base the culture in Israel, how you base the, the relations with the Jewish world outside of Israel, what it based on how we see the diaspora, how the diaspora sees us, nothing is in the right place. Yeah, but, nothing. But you know, until I came to your Passovers, and I don't know for how many years, Passover in my house here in New York was faculty members mixed for years. All the couples who were Jewish, or doesn't matter the man or the woman, and the other one is not, I had like at least 10 couples for years until I I decided to come to Chile and and rest and sing and not cook and nothing but that was my uh my tradition but how do you answer when I I don't know if I'm using the right when I say to my son and when I told the students back then it's nothing to do with religion it's about and I called it civilization but I don't mean I'm looking for the world and I don't have it culture culture tarbut. You know, so I can tell you right now, I'm 54 years old. I'm recently single. Don't say single. you look much younger. Toda, I'm Everyone looks good. And and I'm single. And I'm, and I'm trying to date. If you have ideas, I'm open. And it's clear to me, I don't care so much if my next partner is Jewish. Because my identity is Jewish. My children are Jewish. But I really miss Hebrew. I want Ivrit in my intimate household. And the last partners I had, not all were Jewish and not all spoke Hebrew. 
many years ago, yes. So that's not about religion, CP. That's no, about that's civilization. About it's about culture. It's about culture. In Hebrew, it's, it's about intimacy. Nachon. It's poetry. It's, I was like, it's slang. It's music. It's the nuance. And so, what I say to a modern American Jew who wants to marry their beloved, Jewish or not Jewish, is first of all find common ground around the things that will matter to them. Now, this is a much longer conversation, but your average American Jew shows up three times a year for Jewish life. Okay, you already mentioned one of, right. of them, Pesach. Okay, your average American and Israeli Jew, Pesach, Yom Kippur, and going to somebody's Barbat Mitzvah. This is the 2020 pure survey. So if, if, if a Jew comes to me and he wants to marry somebody who's not Jewish, and I say, okay, if you're going to have Pesach, and you bring your spouse with you. If you're going to come to Yom Kippur or do something on, you know, as a person who wants to reflect on your Christmas. life, and you will attend. And you can maybe, still maybe not if she wants or he. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But let's not say no. Let's say yes. Let's welcome you in. And I'll tell you one more thing. You know, as you can tell, I love history. When I became a rabbi in the conservative movement um, some years ago, I had to make a decision. Am I going to officiate weddings between people who are Jewish people or not, which is the majority of my community and the life I'm living? Or am I going to stick to the conservative Orthodox Jewish law that says a rabbi does not officiate into marriage? So I spent a year researching and I came up with a proposal, which I'm calling the joy proposal. A joy is somebody who's not a Jew and who's not a goy. He's a joy. Amazing. It's the middle. Now, I did not, I made up the words based on someone taught me, but it's based on an ancient Jewish concept you may have heard of called Ger Toshav. Ger Toshav is an invention of the rabbis from 2000 years ago when Jews were living in Alexandria, in Rome, in a very cosmopolitan context. And some people who were not Jewish joined the Jewish community, but did not become Jewish. They did not convert. They weren't religious Jews, they were cultural Jews. So the rabbis made up a term called Ger Toshav. It's like a permanent resident, you're not a citizen. It was a very small number, there were very limitations on what it means to be a Ger Toshav. It exists in the rabbinic toolbox in the halacha as a tiny, tiny loop. So I thought, why not take this tiny loop and adapt it to our reality where it's 70 plus percent are choosing to marry people who are not Jewish, but they might be in the family. We just have to add a status. It's not binary, Jew or non-Jew. It's Jewish, Jew-Jason, an ally. And if you're inviting these people in, then we're not losing the Jews, we're right. gaining more people. I, I agree with you. And that is a strategy that I'm Boy. still holding on to. And, it, I, and I can tell you that now there are, you know, I'm doing BMIT, for the third daughter of a couple whose wedding I did 16 years ago. And she isn't Jewish. Father is, according to Orthodox Halakha, they're not Jewish. But they are, they're part of my community. For them, Judaism is how they live their lives. So we have it's to just really expand idea. our definition. Why you don't know, you, I really... just what last one, when, why don't you and one of your family was ultra religious, right? Why don't you come in together and Open the door. 
Well, first of all, my yes. ultra orthodox family and I have to be in the same room and have a conversation. Oh, really? oh. It's, a, it's a little complicated. Oh, I mean, it's not. Oh, sorry. It's very... no, no, no. It's, I was hoping not... that God opened the door to both of you, and here you are, you know, bursting into the sun together. It and... sounds easy, and it's not. Honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly believe that every everyone should uh, celebrate its Judaism the way they are, the way they choose, the way it works for them, as long as they can do it based on the the, the main ideas, but it has to be uh, really adapt to their life so they can have it and not lose it and not being thrown out of the community. It's really pity that the rules are so, so rough or one side doesn't accept the other. But Amichai, we're ototo in Rosh Hashanah. Tell us something. I'll tell you something. First of all, Modani, I say every morning. Me too. And uh, I, starting the day with gratitude is great. Starting the year with intentionality is also very good. I'll give you a little tip. I don't know where you are for Rosh Hashanah. You're invited to come join us. Lab Shul is going to be in downtown New York City. And um, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but I'll tell you that what I'm going to be talking about on, on Rosh Hashanah is the song that has been the key song of the protest for democracy these last nine months. And that is Kol Olam Kolo Gesher Tzar Me'od. The whole wide world is a narrow bridge. Right. Now, you, I'm sure you know the rest of the words. How does it go? Right. So the question is why. Father in law, every Friday used to sing it to us. We were laughing. And we were laughing. It was like. So the song is the saying, don't be afraid. But the original words of Ibn Ahmad of Breslav, who wrote it, was. Litpached mm. is different. Litpached is he's not saying don't be afraid. Sometimes you need to be afraid. Litpached is don't get fear. Take care of you. Take control of you. Oh be God. brave. Figure out how do we face our fears? How do we face our fear? How do we look at uncertainty? That is part of our lives right now. Israel, America, democracy, AI the universe, climate crisis, fear is real. How are we going to face and befriend our fears? Why, why, so why? that's going to be the message for Erev Rosh Hashanah. Wow. We're going to sing Eshel Tzar Me'od in solidarity with the protest. And you are very invited to join us, whoever is listening, labshul.org. All the details are there. I we'll be live in New York City you. and online. Also. You just replaced Rolly for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't tell him that. No, Holly is my teacher, mentor, and friend. Sorry, you I, not replace. You just became the second. Join him. To me. Join him. So yeah, yeah. Tipi bechavod rav. Holly is the man I owe so much to. Thank you. Wow. And see you, everybody, next. We see you again. Bye.